Today I'm preaching on the subject, practice what you preach. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you that through it we can learn from you. Help us to do that during these moments today. May Jesus be honored and glorified through his word to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Practice what you preach. How many times has someone told that to you? Anyone? <laughs> well, you better start practicing what you preach. I'm sure all of us, I'm sure all of us have been told that. And do you know, I believe, I'm sure it all started because of what Jesus said. Did you know that? It's not something that man made up. Listen to Matthew 23. Jesus tells the crowds, I'm giving some ad lib here, Jesus tells the crowds and his disciples to do what the Pharisees and the scribes teach them to do. Here's what he said in verse 3. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. How do you like that? There it is from Jesus. But I'll tell you, the Apostle Paul was on to it too because after he gave his wonderful letters to the different churches he wrote to, in Philippians 4, 9, in your notes there, it says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And also James picks up the same idea when he said in James 1, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. It's amazing, wonderful. You know, the, uh, the Apostle Paul and other writers of the letters we have in the New Testament uh, use this system very eloquently. They would teach and preach the doctrines in the first part of the book, and then the latter part of the book, they would give, give the duty of those to whom they were writing. So it would be doctrine and then duty. Another way you could say it, he would give the principles and then they were supposed to practice. Or you could say it, some were teaching and others were walking. So that's where we get the little phrase, walk the talk, practice what you preach. That's how easy it is. So after giving the amazing first two verses in Romans chapter 12, where we are this morning in our Bibles, after giving those first two uh, wonderful verses, which uh, happen to be your favorite, aren't they? Our brother Lyle, <clears throat> uh, Paul then helps us to learn how to practice what we preach in this book of Romans. And I'm only giving a few of them, even though you probably think there are too many in the outline. Um, there are a lot more than, than we have in the outline today. You can study them on your own. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies holy a, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is real practical stuff for us, class, so I wonder how do you practice what you preach? How do I practice what I preach? In verses 9 to 13, we have a few of them given there. And like I say, there are many more. But let's look at some of these that are so very, very important. The first one said, says, let love be without hypocrisy. I'm supposed to use this thing. Do I, do I hit the, 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 the main button here? 
The middle one, nothing happens. Probably I gave her, probably I gave a horrible, uh, huh? Oh, it came up, okay. You probably did it up there for me. We'll see, okay. Uh, let love be without hypocrisy. Now we read that and we know what it means, don't we? Uh, hypocrisy, that uh, means don't pretend, don't wear a mask, uh, be genuine, don't be a fake, be sincere, don't let sentimental froth roll out of your mouth in this kind of, because that's not the kind of love he's talking about here. This is agape love, God's love. Don't wear a mask. Peter talks about it. He said in, in, a, in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things have fervent love one for another. Let love be without hypocrisy. That's what we are supposed to do. And our Christian walk is to allow the love of God to flow through our bodies in such a wonderful way that as we interact with people, that we will have love without hypocrisy. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So let's take that to heart. If you don't have it, get it. How do you get it? Well, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us, said Paul in Romans 3, 5, 5. This love is not reciprocal. It gives and gives and gives again and sheer delight in doing so and it's not expecting anything in return. That's the kind of love he expects when he says love without hypocrisy. You're not practicing what you preach if you don't have this kind of love. This is Calvary love. Only believers can have this love and they may not even have it because of sin in their lives. So don't let that happen, dear people. And a lot of people today say, I'm saved, but yet they don't want to act like they're saved. See the difference? You can say, I'm saved, but are you acting like it? Hypocrisy. Queen Mary, that great ship, was decommissioned, and they kind of had to tear it apart and redo it because it was, had had a lot of, lot of miles. So they took the smokestacks off of it. I don't know, they, they had to do that. They were, they were 36 feet long, 23 feet wide, and some were 72 feet to 62 feet in height. That's a lot of smokestacks. They put them on the docks, wherever the ship was moored. They put them on the docks, and uh, when they did so, they collapsed. All of these massive smokestacks, they just, handed up in a, in a pile of rust in a guy's hand almost, uh, because they found out that even though they were made with steel that was one inch thick, they had 30 coats of paint on it, but no more steel. The steel was all gone, only paint. That's what held them together. And that's the way some people try to display God's love, just a bunch of paint on the outside, but everything on the inside is gone. God says, don't let hypocrisy be that kind in your life. Let love be without hypocrisy. Then, number two, hate what is evil. And you say, well, of course I do. That's easy. 
You see, folks, we have become desensitized to sin. The media, the movies, radio, TV, and a jillion other things have helped us to get used to sin to the point where we don't hate sin like God wants us to really hate sin. We no longer are shocked by some things that come to our lives through the ear gate and through the eye gate. The only security against sin is to be shocked by it. Some get awful close to sin, as close as they possibly can, but that's, that's it. Like the little boy, <laughs> I don't know who copied his prayer, but here's what he prayed. The little boy prayed, Lord, make me good. Not real good, but just good enough to keep from getting spanked. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> I, uh, I give a class in my Friday class, uh, Bible study on nature. And uh, I'm intrigued with nature, and I'm, in, I'm intrigued uh, about one that I read about spider webs. You ever heard much about spider webs? You're not usually, unless you got caught in some in the dark. There's a factory in France that specializes in spider webs. They are regularly cultivated, and of the delicate fibers, ropes for balloons for military purposes are constantly being made in this factory from spider webs. Amazing, isn't it? It seems almost incredible that so frail a thing can by multiplying be made into a strong rope, strong enough to strangle a, a man, yet so it is, cobwebs can now literally become cables and they've already proven that, and they have them already made. Cables from cobwebs. Shadowy and filmy at the first may become so strong, these little things, by constant indulgence at the strong cords of avarice. That's the way sin takes us. And hate may at last bind the soul to its utter undoing. Beware of the beginnings of evil. Think about the spider web. A little old thing that's so fragile, and yet look what it can do. That's what sin can do in your life, in my life, if we don't take charge of it and hate what is evil. The next one says, cling to what is good. Verse 9, how does one do this? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, 22 says, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Just that easy. You say, preacher, you say it's just so easy. Well, cling to what is good. We ought to learn how to do that because that's part of practicing what we preach. Cling to what is good. You know what is good. You know what is bad. So cling to that which is good. Boy, a man was in a serious situation. He was a criminal and he repented and he was given an opportunity to be set free and not die provided he did this. It's crazy, but here's what he did. I mean, of what they told him to do. He had to take a gourd full of water throughout the entire village where he lived and the marketplace, and he had to return at night without spilling one drop of water from the gourd which he had in his hand all day long. What do you think was on his mind that day? 
Well, he didn't want to spill any of the water, and if he did, it was death for him. He got home safely. What a story. But it proves to us, dear ones, that we are to cling to what is good. We have played with sin long enough. It's about time we got down to business and understand that our spiritual soundness depends on how much we cling to that which is good. Like Velcro. Velcro, boy. Good way to cling to it. <clears throat> Be devoted to one another with brotherly love is at number four from verse 10. Someone wrote, uh, I like to write poetry, but I didn't write this one, I'll tell you that. But I like it. To dwell above with saints in love, that will indeed be glory. To dwell below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't that so true? This is referring to the new family that, he, that we have in Christ Jesus we have, and we are supposed to be devoted to one another with brotherly love. What a, what a story. Be kindly affectionate. Means devoted. MacArthur says that this is a devotion to other Christians with a family sort of love, not based on, on personal attraction or desirability. We're just supposed to, to be uh, devoted to one another regardless of these situations. Brotherly love is that relationship between brothers and sisters in the family. First Thessalonians 4.9 says, Now about brotherly love, we, we do not need to write to you, said Paul, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Yes, he has. He's taught us. And 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren he who does not love his brothers abides in death. Can we pass that test, my dear friend? He who does not love his brother abides in death. Through my many years as pastor here at this church, I remember many times, well, not many, many times, but enough times I met people who actually hated their siblings. I could not understand that at all. But it happens, must happen. Maybe you all know more about it. But anyway, what a, what a thing. What a thing that we should learn to, to, uh, to do away with. I heard, a, I read a, my love for nature and study of it, I, I learned some interesting things about dolphins. Uh, dolphins, um, <clears throat> they develop, the scientists tell us, a, a unique signature whistle. Which, which they, is the equivalent of its name. And so they learn to whistle, and the whistle is the same as its name, as if it has a name, but I guess it, amongst the dolphins, they do have a name. So it uses this to identify itself to other dolphins. Adults are adept at copying the cries of other dolphins as if calling them by name. Isn't that amazing? This is a fact backed up by research it says here, factored by research, <clears throat> and the adults are adept at copying the cries of other dolphins as if calling them by name. This uh, this has uh, all been substantiated by scientific studies in Scotland, and they concluded that dolphins respond when another dolphin calls out their name. And you say, well, that's a, that's a beautiful story. Well, listen to, listen to this, the rest of the story. 
An American research, research study concluded that dolphins recognize, recognize other dolphins even if they have lost contact many years previously. And here's the story. One experiment proved that they could still remember each other's whistle even after being separated for 20 years. Dolphins are socially complex mammals and their social bands with family and friends are very important and they certainly do teach us a lesson. In other words, how are you whistling? <laughs> and uh, be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love. Are, you, are we practicing what we preach? This verse, if uh, now we're in, got to go to another one here. In honor, giving preference to one another. This verse, if obeyed, evaporates jealousy. And verse 3 of this chapter says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I love that. This is something which is easy for us to fall into, to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. I read of a, a couple of little girls in Sunday school class. It's kind of a touching story. A Bible was the prize, and the finalists were a poor girl, her name was Betty, and a girl from a well-to-do family, her name was Susan. Now, if your names happen to be that, don't just forget about that, it's okay, we're not, nothing personal here. Susan, on the test in the Sunday school class, misspelled a word, and Betty won the Bible. Is Betty the poor one? Yes, Betty is the poor one. Okay. <clears throat> so on the trip home, Susan, with her mother, was asked by her mother, Susan, couldn't you spell that word? She said, yes. Well, then, why didn't you? Because Betty is very poor, and she doesn't get many presents, and so she wanted the Bible very much, and she tried to so hard to, to do it, and I thought I'd just let her have the Bible by misspelling the word myself so she could have it. What made you do that? Susan's mother asked, and she said, well, my Sunday school lesson said in honor preferring one another. So I thought I'd try it, and I'm glad I did. You know what happened? A few days later, Susan, the one who gave up the Bible, she received a birthday present, a beautiful Bible, and on the flyleaf was written the text, in honor preferring one another. Isn't that beautiful? Yep, let us practice what we preach, dear ones. Let us, in honor, prefer one another. Number six, serving the Lord. <clears throat> not lagging, now notice what the words that preface this around this word, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. This is active service. This is to be done diligently. This is uh, not lacking diligence, it's not lacking zeal. And uh, boy, from history, we have so many wonderful examples of this about serving the Lord. Uh, I've read a lot about John Wesley. What a, what a man he was. He rode, he rode his horse 60 to 70 miles every day during his long career. And you know, 
that he preached an average of three sermons every day. Pastor Kyle and I and Lyle can really relate to that. Three times a day, he preached a message all those years he lived. Amazing. And rode 60 to 7 miles, not in a Cadillac, but on a horse. <clears throat> not many of us can relate to what I'm going to say right now, but when Alexander McLaren, he was a great preacher, wasn't he? When he went into his study, we, I don't think we can relate to this. When he went into his study, he would take off his slippers and put on working men's boots. You know why? Because he knew that a minister of God is to be a working man. So he wouldn't wear his slippers in his study. Never heard of such a thing. Some people go barefooted. It's amazing. You ever heard of D.L. Moody? Boy, he was a worker. He knew how to serve the Lord. Oh, my, did he. He was an active man. It was said one time someone reported that, that one night his prayer was this as he rolled his great bulk into bed. He said this, Lord, I'm tired. Amen. <laughs> and I'm sure he was asleep as soon as he said amen. <clears throat> so this service is to be done with the right attitude. This is to be done with a fervent spirit. One of the oldest blights on earth is lack of enthusiasm. I love it when you see people who are enthusiastic about what they do. And don't let anything ever hinder that, even getting old like me. <laughs> I read of a, a very slow-moving clerk did not show up one day at work, and someone asked the boss's son where he was. He ain't working no more, was the reply. Well, do you have anyone in mind for the vacancy, inquired the customer. Nope. Eddie didn't leave no vacancy. No one's going to ever miss him. That's not, that's not the way you serve the Lord. Serve the Lord, folks, with diligence and fervent spirit. Serving the Lord is great. Some in serving Christ are so weak that if they left the community, their absence would scarcely be noticed. Never let it happen to you and me. Never let it happen. Let us start practicing what we preach by serving the Lord with all that we have. Rejoice in hope. What is that? Well, we're supposed to be joyful in hope. Rejoicing in hope, it says, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer. This is, this is very optimistic. Uh, they say, in fact, they say a glass of water, an optimistic person says a glass is half full. A pessimistic says it's half empty, right? So the optimistic person is the kind that rejoices in hope. Looking for the blessed hope, in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are, these are steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because they know that their labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. How important that is. These are the ones who, when sorrowing or rejoicing, who are poor but make many rich and who have nothing 
but possess all things. 1 Corinthians 6.10. These look, these kind of people that are rejoicing in hope, they're the kind that are looking from the gloom to the glory. They see the future, not the fog, and they see the sunrise and not the sunset. There is hope, thank God. Someone said, Someone said that his favorite verse was, and it came to pass. That's, that's pretty nice, I think, really. Um, but don't lose hope, dear, dear ones, because rejoicing in hope is really a wonderful thing, to rejoice in hope, to have hope in your life for what is ahead for you in your work, in your marriage, in your relationships. What a, what a thing to, to rejoice in hope, having this wonderful hope. Uh, when you lose hope of doing better, you lose everything that makes life worth living. A great artist, a great artist was, was once asked this question, what's the best picture you've ever painted? He was asked, you know what he said? The next one. <laughs> but another artist was heard to lament, too bad I failed, though he was at the very height of his glory. Why do you say that? He was asked. He said, well, because I've lost any hope of improvement. He said he was, he, was, he was right. The person who has stopped hoping has fully failed. So dear ones, don't ever stop. Don't ever give up. There's always something better to achieve. Don't give up in this life. Rejoice in hope looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2.13. Practice what we preach. Rejoice in hope. Okay, patient in tribulation. How do we do that? Well, I just read a verse, 1 Corinthians 15.58. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we are told by the psalmist in Psalm 37, 7, wait on the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who, who brings wicked schemes to pass. And James said it so well in 1, 2, he said, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Isn't that amazing? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What does the, we don't talk about blacksmiths much anymore, but what does a blacksmith do? Well, he keeps the metal in the flame to make the stuff pliable so he can work it to what he wants to do with it. God keeps tribulation coming our way, dear ones, to make us pliable to his will. Don't resist it. Give in to God's working in your life and allow him to help you to be patient in tribulation. Let's practice what we preach and be patient in tribulation. Continue steadfast in prayer. This is a good one. Paul taught us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. A lot of people say, well, how in the world do you do that? Well, you can just always be in the attitude of prayer. That's what our answer is always. Maybe this will help you. I read, of a, I read of a servant girl, very poor, and her employer kept her busy and had few opportunities to see for her to, to serve the Lord except praying for others. That's what God allowed her to do. She was so busy. 
had no other time. So do you, she, she was asked, do you feel frustrated because you can do so little for the Lord? And here was her answer, oh, no. Uh, I take the newspaper to my bedroom every night. The newspaper? Yeah, I take the newspaper to my bedroom every night and I look over the maternity section. And what I do is I pray for the little babies that they will come to the Lord and be a blessing to others. And she said, I, I read the bride and the groom section to see who just got married or gonna get married. And I pray that they will be happy and true to each other in their new married relationship. And she says, I read about the bereaved, the ones who have died and ones who are mourning their loss. And she says, one by one, I pray for them that they may turn to the one source of lasting comfort, Jesus Christ. So here this poor little girl that could not even hardly do anything. She taught us a lesson in prayer. How are you praying, dear ones? Are you praying? Are you steadfast in prayer? Help us to practice what we preach. <clears throat> I think that um, as I read history uh, mission lessons, I read of a missionary who came out of Africa and he said his people in his village, when they got saved, they made a trail back into the jungles and that was their trail only. And at the end of the trail was a place where they prayed. So here you go to the village and you see all of these trails, trails going everywhere because they belong to a Christian who was going back there to pray and have fellowship with God. And what happens that if you get busy in life, like we all have experienced, uh, Joe Blow here in the village noticed that uh, this person's trail had weeds growing on it. Uh-oh, they weren't walking on the trail anymore to go to the place of prayer. So they would remind their buddies and sisters in Christ, I see that the weeds are growing on your path. And that would be a gentle reminder to them to get back to the place of prayer. So I ask you, my dear friends, is, are there weeds growing on our prayer path? How are you doing in your communion with God in prayer? I hope it's wonderful. Here's the next one, helping the needy saints. You know what that's all about, don't you? Distributing to the necessity of the saints, sharing mutually with others. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Oh, how many people have taught me precious lessons about giving. As missionaries, the people that would help us to get to the field from this church and other many, many wonderful stories but I remember in Brazil, we had a lady, is Raleigh here this morning? Raleigh's here. Remember Rita? Rita was the dear lady that every, we picked her up at the old folks home every Sunday and brought her to the church. And she seemed to know and she'd say, Mr. Ralph, are we getting closer to the church? And I'd say, yes, Rita, we're almost there. And she'd say, praise the Lord. That's how, how much she liked to go to church. Do you? 
But Rita, when Raleigh came home and left the mission field to come home to study, that dear lady handed me a pitifully small amount of money every month. She said, send it to Raleigh to help him in his school. I could not believe it. A person who had nothing, giving something so someone could go to school. R.G. Letourneau, the great man of God who made the earth moving machines, his wife was approached one day and said, was asked, why don't you have a, a fancy coat? And she said, I can't afford it. You know why? They gave 90% of their money to God and kept 10%. That's all. John Sletter, the man who met me in the pastor's house that was right back here, in, right back of the church here in those days, which is now on Legal Lane. That's where the pastor's, one of the, that, one of the houses is now. One of them's right across the street over here. My wife and I lived in it before we went to Brazil. Anyway, uh, John Slenner, pioneer missionary to Brazil, Amazon River. He, uh, he came home one time and a man said, uh, meet me, uh, I'll meet you at the airport because I have a car for you. So John Slenner got off the plane from Brazil, met this dear friend and man gave him the keys to the car and John took his luggage and went to the car and drove out of the, out of the, um, the place. And on the way out, he passed the man who had just given him the keys to his car, only he was walking. He walked home. John Slinner got the car. It's amazing. Helping the needy saints. Some people are good at it. Ted Gorsuch, who was brought up in this church and all of his family, how many children do they have? Eight? You, some of you folks know how many he had. Anyway, they're all brought up in this church. Ted, one time over at Monroe's where I was staying till we found a home. Um, that is, I mean, before we went to Brazil. He, he came out, he said, I have something for you in my car, Ralph. And I said, oh, really? And so I went out to his car and he opened the back of his Ford up and he, this beautiful tool kit. And he said, uh, that's yours. I said, oh, Ted, I can't do that. He was supporting eight, eight children. And man, you know, I, he said, no, that's yours. So I took it to Brazil. But you see, some people are such great examples of giving. And here was one of them, helping the needy saints, these different ones that I have noticed. But let's learn to practice what we preach, dear ones, and learn to help needy saints, not only this way, but other ways, missionaries in our home church and the ministries that we have here, so wonderful learn to practice what we preach. And then here's the last one, hospitality. In early church, this was very important. It is today also, house, mis uh, house missionaries, guests, uh, speakers, and, uh, and people in our church here are good at doing this. And many to whom I'm speaking right now have been so good at this about hospitality. And I, I praise you for that. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 9. Did you notice that word, without grudging? Some people you ask, could you, could you take missionary and so-and-so? And then they kind of moan. You're not supposed to moan. Don't grudge. Do it cheerfully. Practice what you preach. Yep. 
practice what we preach. An evangelist preached in a church. The next day he got on a bus, just a local bus, paid his fare, sat down and discovered he had too much money and change. The driver gave him too much money. Oh, really? He went up to the driver and said, sir, you gave me too much money. The driver said, I know. I was in your church last night and I heard you preach and I thought I would just see what you would do if I gave you more money than you deserve. And he said, he took the money. He said, I had decided that if, uh, if these people learn to practice what they preach, that I'll, I'll go back and hear this person again. And he said, you did, so I'll go to church. And he did go to church, and he got saved that night. Met Jesus as his personal savior. <clears throat> I have one more burden, dear people. It's not on the, not on the list there because we've already gone through all 11 of them. Let me just read this to you. A story is told of the late Dr. R.A. Torrey years ago. Dr. Torrey was preaching in a church and noticed a young lawyer in his audience whom he knew. At the close of the meeting, Dr. Torrey went to the man and asked him if he was a Christian. Yes, yes, the lawyer said. I consider myself a Christian. Are you bringing others to Christ? The minister asked. No, sir. I am not. He replied, that is not my business. It's yours. I am called to practice law. You are called to preach. In response to this careless comment, Dr. Torrey, listen to this. Dr. Torrey then opened his Bible to Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 and said, would you please read what it says? And here's what it says. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. The lawyer says, oh, but those were the apostles, he explained. And Dr. Torrey then said, would you be kind enough to read the first verse of that chapter? The lawyer then read the, the, read the verse that says, and they were all scattered abroad except the apostles. <laughs> After reading this, the man had nothing more to say, but then what could he say? The command from God is for everyone to go out and make disciples. Are you doing that, my dear friend? Let us learn to practice what we preach. It's not just for the preachers and the staff at the church to tell people about Jesus. It's your responsibility and mine. Let us pray. Father in heaven, teach us what we're supposed to know today from this simple passage and help us to practice what we preach. And today, dear ones listening, if you don't know that you're gonna to go to heaven when you die, would you just be willing to say to God, if you mean it in your heart, if you don't mean it, it won't make a bit of difference.
Would you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I thank you that you died for me and paid your precious blood upon the cross to pay my debt of sin. You rose again for my justification, my salvation. I'm a sinner. I want you as my Savior. Come into my life just now and save me for Jesus' sake. And dear one, if you made that commitment today, would you just tell someone, tell someone that you came to Jesus today at the close of this service, just between you and them, or tell anyone, come talk to us, any of the elders or any Christian sitting near you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Continue to bless it to our body, our, our minds and hearts, Lord, that we will not forget any of it, Lord, that we will learn to practice what we preach. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.